From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Hello, this is Isabella Hewn of the Library of Congress. Saturday, August 30th, will mark the 14th year that book lovers of all ages have gathered in Washington, D.C. to celebrate the written word at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. The festival, which is free and open to the public, will hold evening hours for the first time. It will also be in a new location, the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. The book festival's hours will be from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. For more details, visit our website, which is at www.loc.gov bookfest. And now it is my pleasure to introduce former poet laureate Billy Collins, whose recent books are Voyage and Aimless Love, Noon Selected Poems. Billy, thank you for joining us today. Well, you're very welcome. So, first question, what was your childhood like? When and how did you get into poetry? Well, um, yeah, those are somewhat related. I, uh, I was thinking about that just before we talked, because I was looking at this uh, children's book I did called Voyage, and uh, I was reminded by it of what a happy childhood I had, but, I, of course, I didn't know it then. I don't think you know it when you're a child, because you're looking for it to these greater pleasures of maturity. And then you realize that the greater pleasures aren't as great as the pleasures of childhood, so you spend the rest of your life in a state of nostalgic longing. So I had, with me and my childhood in poetry, um, I got exposed to it very early because my mother was a reciter of poetry, not a poet and not a literary person particularly, but she learned a lot of poetry when she was a schoolgirl in, uh, in rural uh, Ontario, Canada, and she would slip quotations from Shakespeare or Kipling or some of the other kind of popular poets into her conversation. And so I knew that my mother had these two ways of talking. She had a regular way and then this better way. And it was like listening to switching from AM to FM, you might say. And um, I knew I liked FM better, and I, <laughs> much later I realized that that was poetry. Okay, great. So you mentioned Kipling and others. So do you have any influences or a favorite poet that um, in poetry or other? I'd say everything I've read is an influence, uh, either positive or negative. I mean, in positive terms, uh, if I read something terrific, I try to learn from it. And... Um, and appropriate it, and if I'm reading bad poetry, I'm reminded again of what not to do. Plus, you know, when I got out of, I went to graduate school, I got a PhD in English, so I've been teaching college English for um, a good part of my life. And in that, um, what that happens, what that gives you is a constant return to all the great poets. So for decades and decades, I've revisited Thomas Hardy and Emily Dickinson and John Dunn and Wordsworth and Coleridge. So that's formed a kind of Rolodex uh, familiarity with English poetry. And even though poetry is a very solitary act, it's something you do completely by yourself, you're always accompanied by the poets you have read and the poets that um, you favor. And so it's, uh, I think if I had to talk about how creative work gets done, it's basically boils down to one word, and that word is influence. And how important is subject matter to your poetry, and where do you get the ideas for your poems? Well, I have very little subject matter, and I'm not sure I ever had an idea in my life. <laughs> um, I mean, I consider, like, relativity an idea, or maybe gravity, but I don't think I've ever had one of those. Um, 
I don't. The, the subject matter of poetry tends to be limited to just a few, a few subjects. You can count them on one hand, or you don't even need one hand. Um, there's love. There's death. There's separation. There's reunion. There's celebration. Maybe, maybe a few others. But um, it's all about finding new metaphors, new ways into these these old topics. It's like there are five or six of these big houses and you have to find like a new window or a new door into the house to make your poetry fresh. But you can't, there's no, you don't need to make up new subject matter. It's, it's waiting there for you. It's the subject matter of poetry. You are known as sort of the class clown of American poetry and your work is often identified by its humor. Um, how important is humor to your poetry? Well, um, according to you, it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> When I'm writing it, I'm in no way trying to be funny. I simply have a comic way of looking at the world, and that gets into my poetry. Um, I think it stands out, perhaps, because uh, a lot of poets seem to take uh, misery as uh, as the, their their content. Um, and I've got I've got enough of that. But as far as the strategy and poetry. I think poetry is supposed to give pleasure. And, you know, there are many ways to give pleasure in poetry, but and humor is simply one of them. So your latest book, Aimless Love, New and Selected Poems, made the New York Times bestseller list. Tell us more about that book and about how it came about for you. About the book? Well, the book is it's a type of poetry book called a new and selected book. So what it does is it, uh, it gathers kind of the best of, uh, according to me <laughs> and my editor, the best of poems from uh, four previous volumes. And then usually you add a handful of new poems. In this case, we added 50 new, 50 new poems, five zero, um, which was quite substantial, almost another, almost a book in itself, almost a fifth book. So it's a very, it's a big book for a book of poetry. But every once in a while, when one has four or five books uh, in the past, it's time for one of these summative gatherings that are called New and Selected Poems. So that, that's sort of how the book came into being. I noticed that you close your book with your poem, The Names. Uh, this is your first book where you have allowed the names to be published after over 10 years of like, an initial reluctance to do so. So tell us about how you made that decision and about that poem in general. Well, the decision not to include the names in a previous book and not to read it as part of my, you know, public readings, was based on my feeling that the poem belonged um, in its time. You know, I was commissioned by Congress to read it in front of a joint session of Congress, and I thought that was uh, such an important uh, summoning forth of poetry for this occasion that it should the poem should be kept connected to the event of 9/11 and to the memorial service of Congress and not just uh, taken out and, be, and become another poem I read at a reading. So I thought there was something special, if not sacred, about it. However, when this new uh, book was in the works, I don't know if I'll ever have another new and selected book of poems. I thought, well, maybe this is time to, uh, 10 years later to, uh, or more actually, to, uh, to include that poem. I put it at the end uh, because I still think of it as having a special, uh, special place in my poetry. So what advice would you give to other aspiring <clears throat> poets out there? 
Well, they just have to read poetry until it's coming out of their ears. <laughs> there's no um, there's no obvious preparation for poetry. And I mean to say, uh, if you wanted to play uh, the trumpet, well, there's an obvious way to do that. You buy a trumpet and you take a lot of lessons and you begin with the scales, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you want to be an oil painter, you learn how to move turpentine and linseed oil around. And you, there's just a lot of stuff you have to learn to go in zone if you teach you. Uh, a lot of people pick up a pen and um, just pour their hearts out on a piece of paper without any instruction. And that's why there's so much bad poetry. And I guess there's a lot of bad trumpet playing, too. But um, So, yeah, my, my advice is simply read, read all the poetry you can. It's not all good, but find the poets that really help you. Listen to the great conversation that is poetry, and then see if you have something to add. But it's all about reading. If you took, you know, 10,000 hours of, of uh, ballet lessons or, or oboe lessons, you should read poetry for 10,000 hours. <laughs> so that's not like much fun, I know, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just take it hour by hour or poem by poem. Well, last question. As you may know, this year's National Book Festival theme is Stay Up With a Good Book. So in keeping with the theme, what book have you read recently that you've enjoyed staying up reading? Well, I think the last um, the last book I read was a, a book by Andre Jabuse III called Dirty Love, of all titles. It's a sort of series of airlock novellas, and uh, it, it's really not for children, uh, as my book Voyage is, but um, I, it's uh, he's a powerful storyteller, and, and there's lots of local delights along the way. But for the younger set, um, this is my first children's book, the one called Voyage, I think it's beautifully illustrated. It's about a, a boyhood, and it's about the imaginative transformations that reading can um, can complete in a child. Uh, and uh, in the end, we bring in the wind and the moon and the sea and nature, and it all somehow comes together. We've been talking with author Billy Collins, who will appear on Saturday, August 30th, at the National Book Festival at the Washington Convention Center at both the Children's and Poetry and Prose Pavilions. Billy, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.